Hello, hello. Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum and a proud member of the Drum Click Podcast Network. This week's guest is producer, studio owner, and drummer, Frankie Siragusa. We are switching up the format a little bit for this episode, and I had initially planned for this conversation to be a bonus episode, but I think it still falls into the traditional format in its own unique way. So I definitely repeat this with Frankie during the episode, but I'm sure we've all heard a producer or bandmate say, hey, give me a, give me a Ringo vibe when writing parts for a new song. But what the hell does that even mean? In my humble opinion, Frankie is the guy to explain what that does and doesn't mean. And you'll find out why pretty quickly in the interview. This episode is just two Beatle maniacs talking about one of the greatest to ever do it. So please enjoy our chat about the five key elements that make Ringo Starr, Ringo Starr. This is guaranteed to improve your drumming or you get your money back. Enjoy. So we've known each other for a little bit because you've you've mixed and I believe mastered uh, mm-hmm. some songs from a project I've uh, I've worked on. You played drums on a mutual friend of ours, Nicholas McAllis's record. Yes, shout out to Nick, I love him. And you play with the Posies. Love everything you do. But uh, for the people that might not know who Frankie is, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, I'm kind of a, I guess, a jack of all trades. I, I my Instagram uh, bio changes. I feel like every couple months on <laughs> what I, what hat I'm wearing this this month. But um, yeah, I uh, have you know a recording studio called the Lab, um, the Lab Studio here in Los Angeles, and uh, do all sorts of work there. It's always different. So sometimes I get hired to do drums. Sometimes I get hired to engineer things. Sometimes produce and collaborate with people. So really, is a jack of all trades kind of thing. Um, I just like making music, and uh, you know, I just do that in a variety of ways with people, uh, in a usually a collaborative sense. Uh, but like you said, uh, I also play in the Posies, which is one of my favorite groups growing up. So mm-hmm. that's a total bucket list dream come true that I'm living out. And uh, also uh, periodically do my own solo records, which is just my chance to be indulgent and, you know, do things for no other reason than just because I want to. And uh, some people find those those records interesting. Um, and those are just under my name, Frankie Siragusa. And uh, gosh, you know, in the next five years, who knows what I will add to that, but I'm constantly trying to branch out and be creative in a variety of ways. I also recently did a, a music video for the Posies, as well as a, a group called the Licorice Quartet, which are uh, three-fourths of the, the lineup of uh, Jellyfish, the Spelt Milk era. Yes, so, wow. kind of helped manage that release, as well as do uh, creative uh, for music videos. So, yeah, I'm kind of wrapped up in all sorts of things creative. If somebody has a need for something, I'll always try to figure out how I can help. That's kind of not kind of about the Liquor's Quartet. What? Uh, how'd you get hooked up with those guys? Well, I worked with Roger on his solo record uh, called Glamping or EP, I should say, um, and that was maybe 
I, I, I don't know. My sense of time sometimes is all over the place, but I feel like it was like I'm five or you. six years ago. <laughs> and then, um, you know, he was reuniting with Tim and Eric of the Spilt Milk era of Jellyfish to do a project, uh, which was at that time unnamed, and um, thought I, I might be a good fit for helping engineer that. And um, our connection was really good. I, his My rapport with him was already solid, but I hadn't worked with Tim and Eric yet. And it just kind of all gelled. And so uh, I helped engineer all three of the EPs that, they're, that they will be releasing. They've released two of the three so far, finishing the third now. Then they went DIY for EP2, just kind of deciding to see how they can have a go at self-managing their career but with maybe somebody in place that can be an extra pair of hands and maybe a help with some ideas on how to to promote and position the release and stuff so i kind of helped them with that as well which also again translated to doing some music video uh production so uh i'm kind of involved with those guys in a variety of ways i'm also now doing a, a video series for roger on his uh solo instagram page which is called synth saturdays basically we're featuring a new synth of his every week which uh if you're a fan of his is really exciting which i am a fan so just seeing all of his obscure equipment and things like that so always bouncing around with these these folks that i grew up listening to just being involved in however i can Gosh, dude. Well, you've earned every second of it. So thank that's, you. <laughs> that, that's great, man. I appreciate uh, that. So I, w- I wanted to have you on the show to specifically. Well, at first, this was going to be a bonus episode, not because I didn't want the I didn't think the content was worthy of a full episode. It was quite the opposite. But it was more so because Big Fat Five is essentially bringing on a specific drummer talking about their influences, which I actually do want to have you back on for that Sure, format yeah. as well. But I think that what we're doing today, which is dissecting five elements that make Ringo Ringo, I'm going to have fun with it. And I think that still kind of ties into the inspirations of, of, of certain drummers, because um, you can be inspired by these five elements. So you released a record in 2020 called Goodbye My Love, Lost Songs of the Beatles, Covered and Rediscovered. And I wanted to have you on because, of course, everyone just heard how busy you are and how multifaceted you are. So as a producer, I'm sure you've either said or heard, give me the Ringo thing. Yeah. And if if you're in the industry long enough, any drummer will hear that. And so this subject has not necessarily been uncharted, but I think someone who has released a record specifically trying to channel Ringo through themselves the way you did on that record... I think you're kind of a current apex of someone who'd be able to talk about this. So I did want to play a few songs from that record and and play the 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 original and then the one that you did. And then I do. I also have a little backstory in the three that I that I chose. But maybe you can tell me why you chose those songs. OK. And then and then we'll get into the five elements that. I agree with everything you said. Make Ringo Ringo. Yeah. But let's just start off with a song called Like Dreamers Do. And that's uh, written by Paul McCartney. And you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but this is actually is not Ringo on this track. It's actually Pete Best. Am I, am you I know correct? What? I'm not actually sure about the original because a lot of these songs were not performed by the Beatles Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not, but you know, 
that's not an absolute statement because like a song like Sour Milk Sea, even though it was Jackie Lomax had members of the Beatles yep. backing him. So I'm not actually sure who the, the drummer is on the original. From from the one, I think the one I chose, it's it's called Like Dreamers Do. Like I said, it's written by Paul McCartney in 59. And I think this is actually the recording of their quote unquote unsuccessful Decca Records audition. Oh, gosh. Uh, I don't and even then, know if I've heard this. This is exciting. I, I think it's just it's it's the one that's on Spotify uh, in their catalog, but I believe it's actually this is this is pre Ringo, and of course they did not get the record uh, contract uh, for this, which is I'm sure <laughs> uh, whoever was in charge of that uh, is fired or maybe even dead now. But <laughs> yeah, so this is the, this is the recording, and I think this is actually Pete Best, but still it still channels Ringo, and it also shows how much better their songwriting got later on. But this is still a really awesome song. So yeah. like like Dreamers do, this is a live recording. I forget the artist that ended up releasing Like Dreamers Do. Uh, for some reason, the name is escaping me, but uh, we'll just have it blink at the bottom here. In the, <laughs> exactly. In the edit. Uh, but uh, I believe that was the version uh, that... So when when this project came about, the, the label that ended up putting it out was the one that kind of pitched me on it um do you want to do you know songs written by the beatles but not recorded by them and i i said well that sounds fun and i was allowed full creative control and so i kind of did my own reimagining of them and kind of created a, a storyline and all that stuff not to get into too much of the backstory yet but all this to say there was already kind of like a the versions of these songs were kind of pre-selected and sent to me and i had no idea that the the beatles actually did this one so i can't wait to hear it sweet i'm super curious now i i saw a girl in my dreams and so it seems that i will love her oh you you are that girl in my dreams and so it seems that i will love Pretty rad, huh? <laughs> that is so different. And yes, I'm kind of glad I'll... I'm hearing that now and not initially. That may yeah. have totally changed uh, my interpretation of it. So uh, that's so fascinating. But awesome. It's so cool hearing Paul's voice on that. I know. And he definitely, he's trying to be, Yeah, I don't think he found his Paul voice yet. Because he yeah. was trying to be a little more deep and... Like Elvis you could tell, or something. Yeah, you could tell he was nervous and uh, it's... It's really fun, kind of knowing the backstory of that performance. But um, so this is this is Frankie's version, and again, you can tell right off the bat, drum wise, totally different. I I saw a girl in my dreams, and so it seems that I would love her, you. You are that girl in my dreams And so it seems That I will love you And I, I, I Waited for your kiss Waited for the bliss Like dreamers do the, the reason why, or one of the reasons I love this record is you really do capture the sonics, the the panning of the drums, and like everything, you do really capture the essence of 
of the songs, which I mean, the way those songs are mixed and sound are just as much as part of the song as the mix or sorry, as the melody, you know, Well, thank you for that. Yeah, no, I, I've spent a lot of time, uh, kind of laboring over that and trial and error because, you know, you can take, you know, a sixties Ludwig, even get it to sound, you know, tuned and all that stuff. Like, Ringo may have had it. You can even try to play it like Ringo, but you're still not in Abbey Road, and maybe the mics are not quite right, and you're you're not. You know, I wasn't on tape. I was I was on Pro Tools for this, so I had things kind of. You know, it's never going to be exact, and so I was trying to just make sure it felt like you know what I would envision uh, that era of the Beatles to sound like that sort of mid '60s thing. Uh, and uh but it was also just kind of like really fun to to try it out without having to apologize for how close it sounded like to the beatles because that was the point you know a lot of times you know uh i've kind of thought that it's very possible when i'm playing on people's records that like the the beatle influence is showing through a little too much so i gotta Mm. gotta reel that in a little bit Sure. Do something unique with it, you know, let it be an influence, but not too much. This was like a process where I could just be full on 100 percent as beatly as as I could possibly make it, you know. Um, so it was really, really fun to try things out and kind of come to, de- to some determinations of, oh, that's why it sounds that way. You know, and, it, and it's, it's m- sometimes aspects of the recording that is um, different than you would you would assume, you know, like for one thing that was really major in, in why the drums sound the way they do on those Beatle records and not just Beatle records, probably all records of that time is even though they might be separately tracking, uh, not separately tracking, but separately miking the drum kit, certainly far less than they are now, but it, you know, it wasn't just one mic on a kit now. Yeah. I think they, at that point they were using like five or something that was still being treated as one channel, like by the time that they were processing it. So when it was being compressed, it wasn't being EQ'd or compressed individually, or at least that that's what I landed on in terms of what worked for me is, you know, when I, when I chose to, even though it was separately mic'd, view it as one thing, I have to treat it as a, as a, as one, all of a sudden the compression starts manipulating the kit in that sort of mid 60s beatly way completely different than if you were to compress the kick compress the snare and maybe add a little subgroup compression they weren't getting that micro yet and mm-hmm. so that was part of it too it's like leave the the mics completely open and natural and then all your you know if you want to add brightness if you want to whatever that they might have done uh that has to be done with everything summed to one channel. And so I would do that. I would actually take the five mics and record it to one channel. So I didn't even have the option of kind of massaging the mix. I tried yeah. to burn the bridge the same way they would have. So I was kind of stuck with one track of drums, even though I had the capability to do it more micro than that. I just didn't want that. And by the time I even mixed it, I was, um, left with four tracks because they were only tracking on a four track at that point. And I w- so I would maybe do drums, bass, and a guitar, and then I'd sum that to one track and delete 
the raw stuff. So I was like, this is what the band would have tracked to, one track and done. And then, you know, by the time I got done, I was like, I've got my four tracks, and maybe track one is drums and bass and guitar. And if I pan that left, all you know, it's not just drums. Everything else is coming with it. And, you know, tried to put myself in the same, build in the same limitations they would have, not just for the novelty of it, but just so it would actually influence my, my workflow mm-hmm. and hopefully the end result, which I, I think it did. Had I not done it that way, I think it would have been maybe more slick or I don't know what. It, other things would have happened for sure. So I'm, it was kind of worth going extra geeky and just seeing, you know, how much I can replicate what limitations they would have had. Even though it's superimposed, you know, it's like I didn't have to do that. Sometimes when you, if a drum set doesn't sound good in the center, if you push it to one side, it just, it makes sense then. Let's see if I'm describing this well. It's just when you, when you push it to one side, some of the errors you don't, you don't care about anymore. It's like, oh, it's got this vibe now. Uh, and it just sounds better, I think, um, well, Personally. without being, uh, without introducing a, a really terrible pun here, it's no longer the center of attention. You know, it's like <laughs> definitely um, one of the elements instead of, you know, I think that's what you get when you when you have stuff on the on the sides that becomes your ear candy, and then but mm-hmm. you know down the center is like that's the anchor. So if you sure. if if the drums aren't the anchor anymore, it it kind of opens up the possibility for other things to share that priority, I guess, for the ears. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, but it's unnatural at first when you're not used to working that way. You know, like if you throw it off to one side, initially you're like, whoa, why would I do that? And, you know, you try to start balancing that. I mean, I, one thing that I struggled with, with was mastering when I finally was mastering and especially I'm mastering it for Spotify here. So I'm trying to get it, to some sort of competitive volume, even though they're going to normalize it anyway. I'm like, okay, I kind of like the mix sounds fine to me, but when I'm looking at it, like the left is way more active because of the maybe drums or whatever. And so it's like, how is that throwing the, the master, you know? And because it's in stereo, do I not master in link mode anymore? You know, little things like that. Like it, it, it was really a trial and error before I finally. I think got it to where it like all made sense, even with all those kind of quirky hard pan things, which I think uh, after reading some articles, like George Martin and the Beatles were not happy about some of those moves. You know, I don't know if you read that at all, but like apparently at least for some of those records, the stereo mixes were not really that important because they weren't sure that was a medium that was going to take off yet. So the mono mixes were the ones that the Beatles were present on that they worked really hard w- with. And I think even some of the stereo mixes, nobody was present, but like the assistant or something. They were just like, yeah, 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 just, you know, pan some things and be done with it. And then those become what everybody knows. You know, the mono mixes were kind of a novelty and stuff that people would seek out and check out later. But and I, I think there's even like a, a note to the record label that George Martin wrote in 1987, I think it was, when they digitized the Beatle records to, to be released on CD for the first time, that because the stereo mixes were n- not really to the 
you know, standards that George Martin was happy with. He said, take my name off of this as producer. Wow. So he was not happy with those, those mixes. And it wasn't until whenever they did the re-releases, which would have been, I guess, maybe 10 years ago. When they mm-hmm. did the box sets. That's yeah. when, that's the first time they remastered anything since 1987. Um, and I think probably for the stereo mixes, I think they retained all those terrible panning things that George Martin didn't like. I love that Sh- stuff. But... No, me too. It, that's so funny that they didn't approve of that. Can you imagine the Beatles thinking about, like going back in time, thinking about how's this going to work on Spotify and having that dictate oh, how they did stuff? That would be... I've always thought that if what would happen if you if you time traveled and brought those four, well, five, including George, and brought them to today's technology, what they could accomplish with that creativity with the seemingly endless options. I think they would have done a lot with it because they I think they would have called probably, uh, you know, bullshit on the uh, methodology of why certain things get applied in the digital realm because if you think about it all this loudness war stuff and everything being so brick walled like compression was employed because you know they were trying to get volume of certain pieces of the audio above the noise floor because they were limited by whatever it was tape hiss vinyl noise you name it and now in the digital world we don't have any of that so you would think it would open up the 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 world to more dynamic music because we no longer have that noise floor or at least not the same kind of noise floor. There's always some kind, but it's so far down that, you know, you could be as dynamic as you want. And yet, even with all that flexibility and technological advances and stuff, we went the opposite direction, less bandwidth, uh, less dynamics and just totally unnecessarily and especially when we have things in place that are are like you know spotify normalizes so you really don't need to over compress anymore but people are still doing it and so i think if you were to take a band like the beatles and you know shotgun them to now and we tell them why we do things the certain way they'd be like that's so backwards no and and probably use the technology as it should be used maybe i'm being a little bit uh you know uh, sentimental about it, but I, I really think that like back then they they did things for a reason that was just because of the science and whatever. Now it's just because. Why do you auto tune every vocal? No, well, just because that's what everybody else does, not because that's what's needed here. Uh, you know, but it, I feel like actually I've I've done a few podcasts over the last uh, few weeks, and I keep talking about that. I keep bringing that up. I guess that's a a bee in my bonnet or something where it's like just this idea that we have to do certain things. And it's so frustrating. Um, Get the word out. Well, it's it's like you, you look, you know, this process of doing this Beatles thing, it's like you're, you're talking about very, very primitive uh, practices and, and equipment and some of the best, uh, methods of recording in my opinion some of the best uh methodical approaches to to producing you know that at least for me haven't been beat you know and i'm not saying there that modern music is doesn't have anything to offer i i love modern music and all that stuff it's just when you really look at like what people needed to to have i guess as a 
as a way of of making the kind of music they made back in the 60s that the, it required like for instance the engineers were were borderline scientists you know like in the early 60s or whatever they were wearing you know lab coats in the recording studio they you know it it was a those people knew not just why turning a knob sounded better or that it did sound better they understood the components they understood uh if it wasn't sounding right why that was it wasn't just trial and error i mean pushing boundaries and misusing gear in a creative way is obviously trial and error because you you know you're breaking rules and that's uncharted territory but i i still love when when i when you listen back to 60s and 70s records it's it's really an art form that I feel like people nowadays uh, don't actually have, you know, doesn't mean that they don't make good sounding records, but it's all algorithms. It's all presets. It's, it's, and they have no, you know, I think most people who might be creative, uh, it's, it's not to say that people aren't creative today. I mean, people are just as creative now as ever, but it's the, the, it's the, I guess, uh, ownership of your title having having like real backing of know-how that that I feel is missing with a lot of people you know when I use a when I use a plug-in and I pull up a preset I understand what that's doing because a lot of times I've used the hardware version or some type of hardware equivalent and even then I still feel a little bit like a poser because I couldn't open up any of this gear and tell you what's a capacitor from a resistor so Sure. I'm sort of I'm on the 50 yard line of of being thrown out of this conversation. But um <laughs> but you know all this to say like I I think there is something to that, you know. I don't know where that uh, all came from, but I well, think no, you asked gonna, one question. And... <laughs> I said hi, Frankie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. no, but uh, to add to that, there was, I, I, I do agree. I think a lot of people do things because you're just, oh, you put EQ, then you put compress, and then you just, they, they have this, this story that they just automatically tell every time. And I heard this story once of this, this person saying, well, there's my grandma's bread mess- recipe that we've had for generations in our, or, you know, our family's uh, recipe. And it's like, Step one, two, three, and number four was always cut off three inches of each side. And no one ever thought about it, like why you did it. You know, I was like, oh, maybe it's to preserve the the moisture or something, but that's just what they did. And finally, they like researched it and they were like, oh, it's because her oven was only a certain size. So they just kept doing this for years and years. Ha! And it was wow. just because she functionally had to do that. And so it's kind of like what you were saying is they they did things because their oven was too small and now people just cut it off because like oh that's what you do yeah um, it, it, that's it's that's a really good story I'm I'm gonna steal that <laughs> <laughs> all right I'll I'll try and text you where I heard it from but yeah, it was yeah, yeah just uh, all right so number two is a uh, uh, you already mentioned it but it's sour milk sea and so it's not by the Beatles it's by, well it was written by I believe George Harrison mm-hmm. but it was recorded and least released. I think it was the first single from Apple Records, which was the Beatles' record label, uh, by Jackie uh, Lomax. So here's this. And again, you also mentioned it. It does have Paul, Ringo, and George playing on this track. If your life's not right, doesn't satisfy. 
All right, so that's uh, Jackie's, and now let's play your version. If your life's not right, doesn't satisfy you. You don't get the breaks like some of us do. So rad, man. Yeah, you can totally tell that's a Beatles song, you know? Yeah, it, for sure. They have it. I think that song, I couldn't help but kind of just do my best cover. Sure. That but one I needs that, that. That one, I, I was like, I it, it was going to be more unnatural to try to just do something different with it, to just do it different. I'm like, you know what? If anything, I'm just, I'm going to... I'm going to treat the Jackie Lomax version like it was the Beatles demo. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to just try to record it like the final product. Now that that's kind of a really pretentious thing to (laughs) aim for, but like, just again, these are just thoughts that like I'm trying to work with. I know (laughs) (laughs) these are things. uh, So if I were the listener, I'd stop listening at this point. Yeah, yeah. You're uh, among friends here. I think. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, but it, you know, it, it was it was little things like, you know, I think if if this had been on the White Album, they probably would have doubled the vocal or at least put ADT on it. And I think in that pre-chorus, there would have been some sort of like seventh harmony. So it's like little things of like how how would the guys together have flourished this a bit more because i believe this was a george production so the other guys played on it but i don't think it was like a group effort to make it jackie's it was just george probably employing the other guys to play on it so i I just thought it could have been maybe a little more colorful but for the most part like the drum groove the way the bass is played that lead guitar it's like there's nothing to fix Mm -hmm. it was it's such a a great tune i wish there was a beatles version of it (laughs) um not that i don't like jackie lomax's version but i would have loved to have heard george's voice and i think ken did a fantastic job on singing that so that's ken stringfellow well you did a great job of matching those those guitar tones that sounds great and the ringo fill you got that fill in there which i (laughs) believe was pretty (laughs) exactly um all right so for the sake of time let's just go to uh, i'm in love yeah which is by the foremost and there's some, some people say it was written by John. Some people say it was written in the back of a van between Paul and John. But uh, regardless, here is I'm in Love by The Foremost. I got something to tell you. I'm in love. I've been longing to tell you. I'm in love. You believe me when I tell you. I'm in love with you. You're my kind of girl. You make me feel proud. so good such a beatles thing where um they have this kind of intro melody and then they just go right into the verse yeah um it's uh she so loves good. you and exactly that kind of thing yeah 
And there is a, a, a version where John is, I believe it's a demo just on piano, just singing that song. Uh, I believe it might have been something he sent to those guys in the foremost, but uh, ah. it's John sounds great doing it as well. It's obviously a little more sentimental because it's just an upright piano. But this is this is now Frankie's version. I've got something to tell you. I'm in love. I've been longing to tell you. I'm in love. You believe me when I tell you. I'm in love with you. You're my kind of girl. You make me feel proud. You make me wanna shout aloud. Yes, I'm telling all my friends I'm in love. That was sick, man. I like at the beginning the 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 strumming guitar is kind of giving that backbeat that's not there besides the tambourine. Uh, yeah, very good, very cool. Good catch. Uh, yeah, that was when I heard the 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 version you played before. It felt, and again, I I was trying to. I wasn't able to be 100% successful at this, but I was trying to make it more mid-period Beatles than anything early. But some of these songs can't help but introduce a little bit of that. But I tried my best to just think of, like, I'm picturing Ringo at this point, you know, feeling like I've played it straight up to this point. Let's try something different. Or maybe Paul would have suggested that or something. So I thought, oh, you know, and and there are some of the... I don't have any references right off the top of my head, but where some type of percussive element, maybe it's some type of rusty tambourine or something that's helping anchor you on the one or or somewhere where the, the rest of the kit is not to just give you some type of composite that's giving you everything that you need. It's not too like disorienting, and um, so that was kind of the idea there. And then the other thing was in just trying to make it more mid mid period Beatles too, was just to get rid of all of that very big reverb. Um, so uh, kind of trying to do more buzzy dry electrics, and um, you know the drums can be roomy, but not reverby. You know, it's more just like you hear like a little bit of sustain in the room, but that's pretty much it. No top snare mic, um, that kind of thing. Um, and that's Keith Sledadal, who kind of sang for Paul, uh, harmonizing with me on, on that. So what, what we did for some of these songs where it's sound, where there's like a unison and then it breaks for a harmony and then it goes back to unison. I, made sure that the unison was still done by somebody else um, just to help it uh, feel more like John and Paul would have done it. It'd be cool. I know this is a drum-centric podcast, but it would be cool because that thing you just described, is that a Beatles thing they did a lot? Unison, harmony, back to unison? I think that was... I, I don't think they invented it. I mean, I think that was more a thing of just the early 60s of, like, vocal groups would sometimes thicken their melody and but then splinter off when it needed to to become more uh melodically dense or whatever i'm not really sure where that came from but i definitely there's like there's some definite uh, examples of like early beatles stuff where a lot of the verses them singing in unison it's such an interesting way to get a doubled vocal effect and that's probably where doubling vocals came from was just this idea of you know what it sounds like when you stack and then for whatever reason maybe this there was a solo singer that wanted to to get that same effect but just didn't have a counter vocalist and now you've got 
vocal doubling happening, which is sort of an interesting like, yeah, sing it twice and we'll we'll play both of them at the same time. It's like it, before that's been invented, that seems like such an odd suggestion. But um, yeah, no, that that was a really fun song. And that comes right after this like uh, musical intro that's like a, a minute long um, that um, this kind of buttons up against. So it kind of that that uh, really quick start of having a vocal that's, you know, soloed um, kind of works when it's all kind of being played together in context. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be cool. Uh, what I was trying to say earlier was it'd be fun to have you on, even though it's a drumming podcast, to talk about what you think makes the a Beatles song. Like you said, uh, going to the seventh in the pre-chorus, you thought the Beatles would do that. You, it seems like you have suggestions on if a drummer or you know someone is trying to become more of a producer, like yeah. just to know that stuff. Like, what would they do? Not to rip it off, but it's uh, something that I wish I knew more about. Well, it's but. somewhat era specific too, because it's mm. like, you know, not to go super long winded here, but a good example is like, uh, you know, Sergeant Pepper with the start of, um, uh, Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane recording. Uh, that's the first time Paul was overdubbing bass. He was doing bass very last. So he was doing either a guitar or a piano with the rest of the band when laying down the raw foundation, everybody would go home and he'd stay at the studio in the after hours and just noodle. And so you can hear an evolution in his bass lines, even though he's still super melodic in the early recordings from Sgt. Pepper on, you can hear how the bass line become kind of counterparts or harmonic parts to the vocal. And how, how else can you do that if with, you know, then to record the bass last when you have all that information to play with and to explore and experiment with. And then, you know, you get the sound of the bass changing too, because now that the, the rest of the band isn't being played at the same time, they can move that microphone six feet away from the bass cab versus having it right on or DI or whatever, which I don't think they did DI very much. So there's things like that. Like I feel like, uh, and that was one of the things uh, which I'm sure we're leading into here is like into picking five unique things about Ringo is the same thing. It's like, it kind of depends on the era you're looking for because there's not, it, it just right off the top of my head, I would go, yeah, there's definitely like a Ringo thing. Like if somebody said play Ringo, I would kind of know what that means. But if you want to like actually dig in, it's sort of like, well, kind of swingy windshield wiper hi-hat Ringo or more sparse wallet on the snare drum like Sgt. Pepper Magical Mystery Tour or tea towel drums White Album Abbey Road Phil oriented yeah like it they're very different exactly which is why I think you're the person to have on because I echo exactly what you were saying or what you are saying Hey, y'all, I wanted to, <laughs> I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely. It's loud. And it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. 
And, and Preston actually, this is why it's called the ocean patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye so let's just jump into it. And yeah. so, again, to kind of contradict what you just said, we are going to have <laughs> yeah. uh, five ways to be Ringo. I'm not sure if you have the list in front of you or I can just say I, I do. I studied. F- um, um. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, yeah, just go ahead and then we will play audios, audio examples yeah. uh, for, each, for each one. But you can just start off with number one. So the first thing, which I think most people would probably... And, and I think this actually is not as era specific as maybe the rest is drum fills the way he naturally plays drum fills. I think part of it he's explained is that he's left-handed. So he starts his fills with the opposite hand, but I think that's not all of it. And, and I don't know if I really have a determination on, on what it is other than it's this, um, like for me, it kind of feels like somebody skipping down the road. I don't know. It just feels very like, da, 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 da. you know, it just has this like joy to it. Even when it's a dark song, like I feel like, uh, um, and this is not one of the examples I gave, but like uh, happiness is a warm gun. There's so many cool drum fills in that. And that is not like a happy go lucky song. That's very dark, very for, th- dark. for them, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, you know, even, but it adds like a little pep to, to the whole thing. And I think that's, what uh i i really it's very tom oriented like i i feel like yeah maybe there's some snare rolls and stuff but when i think ringo fills there's this interplay and in mixing up how you use the whole kit Mm -hmm. and it's not any one thing it's more of a personality because you know there are examples of him going reverse tom order so it's not just like he's going you know there's not like just one preset but there is like a general feel and it it's kind of a little bit clumsy um they're they are sometimes influenced by the musical hooks of the song or they are in place of where there would have been a musical hook um come together would be a great example of that I mean, it is a hook, down, 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 but there is a, like a pause. There's a lot of like sustained notes, and he's just, it's such a, we take that song for granted because everybody's heard that song a million times. Yeah, 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 that's come together. But, you know, 
even the like not so savvy Beatles fan, you could sing the drum part, and people go come together. Like that's incredible that that you could create a musical a drum hook, and then you have John, which I'm sure was influenced by the drum beat intentionally or unintentionally by doing the sh and then having the triplet delay it's it's call and response of that just you know that'll lead us into my number five by the way but you know we'll save that And there's a thing there, too, that I think displays his left hand issue, mm. is that he goes back once on those toms. Oh, okay. It goes back once. And I think that's because he's trying to get over, but he's, you know, there's something. That's I, funny. I'm taking a guess there. It might have just been purposeful, too. He might have just wanted some interplay. But, yeah. Uh, that didn't dawn on me until like 15 years after I heard it. And this is one of the great, this is why I continue to be obsessed because it never stops revealing things for me. And there's a part in here too, and I think it's the third time around in the kick drum, you know, do, 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 do. There's one where he does do, 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 do. He, do, he adds like an extra kick. You got to listen for it. Do, 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 do. But I shouldn't be that like impressed or anything but it's just subtle nuanced things that i just haven't heard in for that one came even later you know it's like i'm still hearing new things from this you know drum beat i kind of take for granted um and then i become super like little kid about it again i'm like oh my god that kick drum's different and why that's so freaking cool it's so like anyway uh Sounding like a total dork now. Uh, all right, so number two for you. Or right, still on number one, still but the on second number example. One, yeah, I'm, I'm going to draw this out. It's uh, <laughs> She said, she said, and I think that, um, you know, if you were to, like, have most drummers play in a verse and in a chorus where uh, the fill is happening every measure, it just would not work primarily you're like just just chill out and play the beat you're like getting in the way it's not all about you man and i feel like somehow ringo has a way of being super active without distracting at all um and so it's uh, but then there's also the way he handles all the sort of cut time in the chorus you know where things aren't happening in perfect fours or whatever that kind of keeps that section from sounding complicated you know and that's i think due to him choosing when to be double time and not double time which is super smart because if you're double time then if you change on the sixth bar it's not going to throw you off the same way it would if you were playing regular time so might have been just instinctual and not super like technically minded or maybe it was but it totally works and accomplishes the goal and also contrasts his busy verse too so again just like a perfect drum idea in my opinion from top to bottom yeah he's a mystical person like he's never 
obviously he's done interviews. He's a he's a very he doesn't like interviews from what I've heard, but he doesn't do a lot of them dissecting his own drumming. There's a few videos out there where he plays. Uh, I think he plays uh, Ticket to Ride, and I think he plays Come Together and kind of talks about him. But he's not one to dissect or have people ask him and then dissect his 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 drumming. So a lot of these questions we don't know. If it was super off the top of his head, or if he did couldn't count, he just was going off the melody, like what his motivations were for what he did, what he did. But let me just play. Uh, she said, she said, yeah. and if that's, I mean, that's when they really started to use the the limiter on the drums. Yeah, um, and the yield Fairchild, the six sixty. <laughs> No symbols, no hat. Well, I mean, accents, but yeah. he's not keeping time anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, just so, nothing else does it for me like like that. Yeah. I want to play a few, yeah. and uh, that kind of showcases drum fills. And I'm going to start with Oh Darling at around 55 seconds into the song. And that's pretty fast for Ringo. He's doing he's doing yeah. some crazy stuff around the kit there. But <laughs> again, starting with just eighth notes and then going to stumbly drunk drummer thing, then doing the ticka 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 He just knows how to how to build up tension that a lot of drummers don't understand. And just even the regular beat, I saw a, a video of him from like the '90s playing, and he's just doing a regular beat. And it's just the way he's kind of playing it. It's it's sort of like how like a chef uses a knife kind of thing where it's like it's not you're letting the knife do all the work kind of thing. And it's like his his limbs and his his sticks just kind of they just lay in without it's not like he's he's taking all this torque and throwing it in there. And it's just so heavy and like laid back, but in the groove and in the pocket. I just think it's in his in his whole body that it's just a regular beat like in that chorus just even that sounds like him and mm-hmm. it's just a regular kick snare hat beat and it's so strange it's not just the sound it's there's something about the way he uh lays back on it my next one i can't move on without playing the end uh yeah. which is basically a Ringo drum solo at the beginning and the cool thing I don't know how to play that it sounds simple but because he is left-handed I'm sure however I think it's played is not intuitive to me yeah and then there is uh kind of the the going into the end of that song he does a very simple fill I'll play both from real quick then we can then we can move on
Yes. It's so good. And then it's this fill around 1.30 that I, uh, I just love. so good alright uh, yeah alright and just the sound of the drums too that um, it's interesting that like some of them are super dry and dead and some of them are ambient and it's an interesting choice you would think that that would be totally uh, disconnected but it totally works very um, much so do not understand why it was done that way pick one way and or the other I wouldn't change it now in hindsight, but like that it's so it's just weird. Well, that's kind of going back to the oven thing. It's because like, why would you, you would think to, Oh, if I'm going to deaden this rack, Tom, it sounds good. Just throw it on the floor, Tom as well. But he was like, no, I like how that sounds. I like how that sounds. So there we go. Yeah. Yeah. But all right. So, uh, number two, number two I have is the hi-hat swipe, which, uh, that like windshield wiper, back and forth swish um it's kind of a lot of things but it's super heavy-handed and it's got it's not all consistent it's got like a push-pull thing which i think is why he probably did that i don't i don't know if if that was just a thing back then if other drummers were doing that but i don't really uh, it seemed to be so synonymous with him. So maybe there were other people. I'm not, so I don't want to say he invented it, but he certainly made it popular, I think. And so when you're playing early Beatle tune, like if you were doing something that sounded like early 60s and somebody said, play the Ringo thing, well, era specific, I would probably think, well, you want some really washy hats. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for I've got two songs for that. Um the first one being All My Lovin'. Close your eyes and I'll kiss you Tomorrow I'll miss you Remember I'll always be true And then while I'm away I'll ride home every day And I'll send all my loving to you I'll pretend that I'm kissing I love the accidental double time on that second round. Oh, really? At the, t- at the top of it. Oh, oh! I wasn't. I was listening to the hi hat, and of course, you know, whack a mole. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. paying attention to that either. Uh, so he's yeah. boo cat boo cat, and he just goes boo cat boo cat. Oh, that okay. Just an interesting beat. Anyway, I love that one. Yeah. And then the other one I had was Hard Day's Night, which I know some of these are maybe the generic easy way out, but they're just so. They highlight it so much. Uh, Jesse Congos was talking about Bill Withers and stuff like that, where there's things that are so ingrained into our zeitgeist, into everything that we do take them for granted. So you go, oh, well, that song. But it's like Hard Day's Night is an incredible song. So you don't want to be like, I don't want to say that because it's that song. Similarly to Come Together, but... Especially when you have the chord that announces Hard Day's Night. It's like, they knew 
they're like, this is this is the one. <laughs> Boom. This is gonna fuck with some people's heads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been a hard day's night, and I've been working like a dog. It's been a hard day's night. I should be sleeping like a log, but when I get home to you, I find the things that you do will make me feel all right. You know I work all day. I'm realizing right now I don't listen to enough Beatles records on headphones. Ah. You know, it's always in my car, or they're always just you know in the in the house stereo, but. You get so like I would I have, I've never realized or I, I I'm sure I've realized but I forgot that there was yeah the bongos in that that are going crazy by the way they're yeah. like <laughs> lay off <laughs> lay off the caffeine there bud but and yeah the the hi hat in that one is like louder than anything else on the drum kit like mm-hmm. you kind of hear the snare you kind of hear the kick drum but the the hi hat is just there it's like yeah. a shaker or something um, so yeah that's an obvious. Uh, attribute of Ringo, I feel that's an easy one. Um, shall we move on to number three? Yeah, I wanted to play one, and it's just Please Please Me. Oh, right. Yes. Last night I said these words to And I'm realizing on this recording, it sounds like he's on the ride, but I was going off uh, a video of Ringo playing this live, and he's, oh. he's, do, he's, he's doing the verse part on, on hi-hats, and then the come on, come on, he goes to the crash ride that he plays. It does but sound that, like ride here, but I, I seem to remember that being hi-hat as well, probably because of the same thing. Exactly. So it's but, not your fault, man. <laughs> well, I was listening to it. I got really insecure. I was like, oh, shit. Ringo, uh, no, pick this a lane, Phil. man. It was the Phil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it. I'm not calling him back now. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. Now you can go on to number three. So number three, uh, which I don't know, uh, deconstructing the beat to fit the song is, is what I wrote, which I feel like... Um, I wish I could reduce that to a single word, uh, deconstructing, I guess. But it's like he's, especially after those first few records, you know, when they started getting in, into like Rubber Soul and Revolver, and then certainly he, you know, perfected that uh, in the later records as well. Just being able to not play straight ahead, sometimes not play at all, Um or maybe it's just a ride keeping time where where you would think the song is supposed to elevate but he kind of pulls back and i know he just had a really unique way of uh interpreting the song rhythmically and um uh that's that's kind of like there's some famous quote out there it's like it's the it's the notes you don't play or something it might have been miles davis or something like that and and i think ringo did that as a pop drummer very well. Um, and so rain would be my first, uh, pick on that one. Um, the, well, just even the chorus being reversed symbols and, you know, just in general, it's such a, a unique drum approach, especially for when that came out, they hadn't even done Sergeant Pepper yet. So, you know, it's still what 65, 64, 65 to be, 
thinking that weird for for uh for percussion it's like you know that they didn't have to be creative with that stuff and it still would have been a great song i feel like drums were just like you keep time you know and that's that's pretty much it that's your job but they were like let's turn everything on its head you know and i think it's really cool that ringo felt free i guess to to do that you know because it really just did so much for music i think Absolutely. Well, let's just play it. That's a sick film. about that too is there's a few spots where they almost get off from each other yeah where it's definitely not cleaned up which again those are the my favorite parts of most of my favorite records same same absolutely uh well also because a song like that is very you know you get the drone of the sitar and stuff there's this kind of like you're kind of on on one note even though it's not but you kind of get this monotony that's like a, a good thing but he's he's what's giving it color and then obviously the the harmonies and stuff um and the other tune i had was in my life um just because i love how he's not you know that was like an early example of when he just didn't need to keep time on hat or ride you know just kick snare real out of the way um and then you know the example of the ride keeping time on the pre-chorus and then he kind of comes in and uh it it really does give like it's kind of instructing the listener of when to pay attention and how to pay attention and he really is it's not just tempo he's he's pacing it in a Mm -hmm. way say this so much but it really is about choices those you can give that to a younger drummer and they're like what's so special about that it's like everything is special about that that's such a stay out of the way but also add a lot of color yeah it they could have easily been sure and it just would have been kind of whatever in a way i mean the song still is great but yeah it made it so much more 
Well, and then that that unison dome of the, of, of the ride symbol and the da 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 da. You know, uh, I was gonna jokingly say um, yesterday uh, for my choice because <laughs> there is, but then I'll actually say it because there is earlier footage of I don't know the timeline. I would assume maybe it's before they recorded it. He, uh, there's footage of them playing yesterday, and 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 Ringo is playing kind of a beat similar to to in my life of the chorus throughout yesterday and so i'm sure yeah and so when uh, when they went to the recording he is uh, mature enough as a musician or maybe it wasn't his choice to be like <laughs> okay this is going to be one of the greatest songs of all time but i don't think i should be on it yeah uh which is a that's a lesson in and of itself yeah for sure but i was also going to say i don't want for the sake of time but it's a, a tax man is one of my favorite songs because oh, yeah. he, he doesn't bring in the hi-hat or the ride uh, until he wants to, and it's like for two bars, then he goes back just snaring hat, and the accents with the bass is really cool. But Taxman's a great song. Yeah, that's so, great. So, uh, yeah, number four. I kind of want to hear it. No. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> uh, drum tone. You know, yeah, no, yeah, let's, let's do let's it. Let's just do it. Let's play Taxman. Let's Tax do Man. it. <laughs> One, two, three, four. One, two. Let me tell you how it One for you, 19 for me Cause I'm the tax man to play without extra syncopation and to stay locked. Like somebody's going to get off and who knows, maybe we'd solo it up without the guitars and vocal and it'd be like super messy, but it doesn't sound like it. Um, <laughs> well, you're, I want to go back and listen to that come together thing you were saying, because that right there, the beat on Taxman, like you just said, that you kind of had to have, you have to have a little bit of a quick foot, but, 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 so yeah, he's kind of a sleeper double bass guy you never know who knew <laughs> we did we tried yeah, telling everybody yeah 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 um well cool uh, so number four would be drum tone which we kind of talked about um either wallet on the snare or tea towels on everything i feel like his his drum sound is definitely his drum sound and i mean there might be others that were around that time that used it but that that's that's just not where my mind goes. It's a very Ringo thing to to have that sort of dry, punchy uh, kind of thing, that old Ludwig sound. So um, I feel like each record kind of had their own thing, but uh, I think what gets referenced the most, I just even by me, but certainly by other people asking for certain tones is White Album. And uh, happiness is a warm gun would be my example of just tight as can be. She's not a girl who misses much. Oh, yeah. She's well acquainted with the touch of the velvet hand like a lizard on a window pane. 
in the crowd with the multicolored mirrors on his hobnail boots. Lying with his eyes while his hands are busy working overtime. A soap impression of his wife, which he ate and donated to the National Trust. a cool guitar tone. I feel like that song works for deconstructing the drum beat as well, because just even that turnaround, how he just doesn't stop where the kick and the snare go. He doesn't like reset like everybody else does. He yeah. just keeps going, and somehow he manages to realign, realign with the, everybody else. Yeah, um, such a vibe. Uh, I'll choose. I'm so tired. That was going to be my other one, so I, I'm glad you picked it. Well, there you I, go. I, I battled. <laughs> I, I haven't slept a wink. I'm so tired. My mind is on the blink. I wonder, should I get up and fix myself a drink? No, no, no. I'm so tired. I don't know what to do. That's not two takes. Is that just an like a, 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 a microphone in like a chamber? Like how how do they get that slapback delay? I think that's tape that? delay. Okay. I, I think that's what that is. It does sound a little roomy, so it might be that they did do a room mic as well as a slapback, or maybe they added slapback to the room mic only. I'm not actually sure. Uh, I'm sure there's data out there, but it, that. I was just thinking that because I was listening. I was like, oh, this one's a little different. It's still that super dry, same, it sounds like the same drum kit, but uh, definitely has a roomy slapback thing going. So I think that's probably what, I think you're right about that. I will say I, I, I can't uh, move on before we say, uh, you know, Big Fat Snare Drum does have some things that help you make those sounds. Absolutely. <laughs> this is the podcast. This is the, you know, it is the company I work for. So we have the quesadilla cloth head. We do have a lot of stuff that can help you get those super dry tones. Go to bigfatsnaredrum.com. All right. So number five. All right. So my number five is kind of a cop out, but I, I feel like it's applicable. I think it is. Yes. Which one? It is a cop out or no? No, sorry, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. No, oh. I said it. I said it really quickly after your the latter. Gotcha. I think it is uh, applicable, and I agree wholeheart wholeheartedly. So, it's it's what kind of makes the Ringo sound. I think is as much to do with the first four that we named as much as it is the fact that he's just in a band in the Beatles like he's with three guys that you know and it's hard to say maybe it changed from song to song but it feels like they utilized him correctly or maybe he utilized them correctly like it or maybe it just was all together but it just seems like you can still tell that it's Ringo when you listen to Harry Nilsson or John Lennon solo stuff or or whoever but there is something about his evolution that I just don't... I don't know if that would have gotten developed um, without that band doing everything that it did the way it did. And I think, um, you know, I really struggled to find one song that would highlight that, but 
I chose a day in the life for a number of reasons. Uh, one, it's John and Paul working together. So I kind of felt like that was fair because, you know, it's, uh, I mean, George isn't highlighted there, unfortunately, but, um, but he, I think Ringo does a really interesting job of embodying all of those sections. He does the John Lennon section justice, and then he does the Paul McCartney thing super well. And it, they kind of just, they're very different takes uh, on how to approach a drum beat. And, um, yeah, I, I just love it. Yep. I'm going to play the John Lennon part of it. I'm starting it for those, if you want to find it, it's about 40 seconds into the song, because the beginning of the song is, uh, there's no drums. He blew his mind out in a car He didn't notice that the lights had changed A crowd of people stood and stared seen his face before Nobody was really sure if he was on the house of I saw a film today, oh boy The English army had just won the war A crowd of people turned away But I just had to look Having read the book, I'd love to turn you on. Yeah, that song, you played it with uh, now, but I was obviously when it comes to the fills, that's when I think of Ringo fills, those that song specifically is like the quintessential how to play a fill the second the vocal stops and then get out of the way when the vocals come back in. Yeah. It's it's flawless. And I think that is a perfect drum tone. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd be happy with that forever. Mm-hmm. That, that just, uh, man. And, uh, yeah, I'm curious to hear your selection on this one. Well, this one I chose the naked version. Uh, and so if people don't know, there's the Let It Be, the one that Paul wanted, and then there's the more naked version that, john wanted if i'm uh, remembering this correctly so this is and i prefer the naked version the more just them uh not the overproduced i uh, maybe phil specter did the old the the more produced one but yeah anyways this is the long and windy road and it's just ringo just being able to kind of it kind of goes i guess with number four just he can just stay out of the way because the song is so good so this is an amazing beat and an amazing song the long and winding that road before it always leads me here lead me to
And I'm not even insecure that I chose a song that has such a mellow, almost non-existent drum part. But again, what he chose to do, I can't listen to that song without hitting those accents. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's just, it's perfect. I couldn't, I mean, we could probably pick any song for any of these five. And exactly. Find a way to uh, apply it. And I, yeah, no, I think it's an excellent choice because that's the hard part when i mean you know this as a as a session drummer like somebody brings you a song and granted they were in a band together so that's a different dynamic but it's still you know it's john and paul bringing you a song or george and it's like here do something with this and it's real it's a it's a hard line to walk because on one hand you want to feel like you contributed something so there is this pressure to like come up with a beat play Mm -hmm. something there and it's it's uh you know is it lazy or does it does it seem like i didn't really care if i'm only playing hat here but uh you know that that so it's it's when you when i think of things like this from the context of having been in those situations where i'm like i feel like i shouldn't play here at all but you did ask me to be here to play something on this Mm -hmm. so you know um it's just a, it's kind of interesting to think about maybe what kind of conversations or thought process they would have had to arrive at that. Or maybe it was just simply instinctual and it, it was that simple for them. Well, I have taken up a lot of your time, but do you want to do some promo? Anything you want the audience to know about that's, that's coming out? Yeah, so I, I put out a, a solo EP a couple of years ago called From Deep Blue to Shallow Gold. And uh, that was always intended to be a full length, but I just wanted to get it out sooner than later. So I uh, did it in two parts. So the second part I'm hoping will come out uh, this fall. Um, and then uh, there's a collaboration project that I've been working on for 10 years now. That's four albums worth of material, each song featuring a different artist. Um, I can't really reveal who yet, but a lot of really cool, diverse uh, artists are involved. And it's sort of my life's work is kind of what I'm calling it, uh, at least up to this point. So um, that'll come out next year. And then uh, New Posey's album will come out sometime next year. Uh, that's already finished. We've, uh, we're done mixing it now, so it's just getting mastered and uh, kind of lining up the release. So lots of new things. Uh, my, I think all my social media handles is at Frankie Audio and my website. Uh, is just my name, FrankieSergusa.com, as well as the LabStudioLA.com, which is uh, basically all info related to the studio itself. And I think that about covers it. The Posies.net, I believe, is our our website link um, to figure out what's going on in Posies land. New, new, lots of new things will be happening. Spain tour next year for Posies. Um, yeah, it'll. It, it, I think a lot of people are, are curious if this, everything that's opening right now, if we'll be able to sustain that. So I think there's still a little bit of a timid vibe about booking next year, but I kind of, fingers crossed and, you know, knock on wood, I think it's going to be a really busy next couple of years, in fact. It's looking mm-hmm. that way. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great place to end it. It was good chatting with you, and I'll, I'll talk to you soon, dude. You as well. See you, brother. See you, dude. And that's the show. Be sure to subscribe. And if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews, do that. 
It helps more people find the show, which means the show will get better and bigger, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'd be an OG listener that could brag to all your friends. Um, anyways, also, why don't you go ahead and check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials. Just search for at BigFatSnareDrum and you will find it. This show is edited in part using Isotope RX-8 Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at Isotope.com. Bye.